Thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, it's uh, the beginning of a series on suffering for doing good. And I'm going to uh, work on, to talk on a question, when do believers suffer for doing good? And suffering is something we are familiar with. I guess everyone has suffered one day, at least when we were a baby, coming into existence, crying when we were born, and throughout life, there is suffering. And when you look at the media, it's all about suffering, distractions, problems, etc. But this passage is talking particularly about suffering for doing good. And you can ask, when do we suffer for doing good? I will be giving two major scenarios or points. Number one is, believers suffer for doing good when they choose not to compromise with sin. That is what the Bible says, suffering for righteousness' sake. Living a radical life for Christ means making a commitment to be obedient to Christ and never compromise with sin. Peter is writing to believers who were living in a paganic world. Actually, I was, some people were driving me and saying, this is the Roman road, Roman road. Then this, this guy is writing to the people spread in the Roman Empire. And these people were living daily and confronting worldly beliefs against their faith. And uh, compromising with the sin for them was participating in the worship ceremony of the emperor was participating in the worship of idols, which was mixed up with immorality, was living like non-believers. Not compromising with sin would cost them losing jobs because you don't go to the ceremony of the emperor, being rejected by families because you believe in Christ and the entire family is angry with you, imprisonment, and sometimes death. Then Peter is clear, is encouraging them to endure suffering instead of compromising with sin. This is not a message for the early church only. It is a message for our generation. It's a message which is relevant to all generations that will believe in Christ. This message echoes with what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ would be persecuted. In my context, it means a business person who cannot prosper in his career because he does not give a bribe. Every system, all the systems are corrupted. And if you don't really corrupt, uh, give a bribe, you are like a stranger in your own country. One of my friends, Jean-Pierre, was importing things from Dubai. He's a believer. He loves Christ. But he could not succeed he becomes very expensive on the market and say, why are you expensive? Others are cheaper because others are cheating the government. Others are, are giving false bills. Others are using a bribe. And many believers in our continent, in our countries where corruption is a big thing, they cannot prosper. They cannot do business. They cannot do easily start a job and continue because the system is very hard for them. They have to choose, do I choose for my business or choose for my Jesus? This is a student who is in a school and 
this school, all the kids cheat when there is an exam. I don't know in this context if kids cheat. But this school, this kid does not cheat because he believes in Christ. And sometimes the teachers are very angry. They want to punish the students by being so serious. And the victim will be the one who does not cheat. Why does he not cheat? Because he wants to believe, he wants to be faithful to Christ, even in front of his exam. This is a new convert who is rejected by his family because he gives his life to Christ. In one of the summer outreaches, I know you've been praying for these evangelists going out. Even this year, we'll be having 700 of them going out for two weeks. And then they went and they brought to Christ one girl, one lady came to Christ. And her mother took a machete wanting to kill her. The evangelist had to come back with the, the girl because she was accepted to be killed. This is the reality in the Muslim world. But this is the reality even in an animistic background in our countries. This is a man, it's about a man who lives in a violent world and chooses to be non-violent. I live in a violent world where revenge, hatred, hate is norm. Love, forgiveness is the exception. I remember in 94, we were running for safety. That was during the Civil War. And we reached a point where we thought we were fine. But the people were going to for protection. They said, only female will pass, but male go back to fight. And I knew I didn't want to fight. What do I do? If I go to fight, I'll be killing, I'll be killed, I'll be exposed to things I don't know. And I remember playing a game which worked, actually. I asked my sister to give me her dress. I put on her dress. <laughs> this is exactly what we're living in, the, in a violent world. Everyone wants you to support his position, his hatred position, his, you know, his uh, revenging plans. And we say no. Then we say, there is a saying say, um, if you don't support me, I'll start, I will start with you. Because you are my enemy. You are the, the worst enemy than my enemy if you don't support my plans. Then how do we respond to this truth in our daily life? I'm not asking a question about have you been exposed to this choice where you have to suffer or you have to uh, compromise. Because I know each of us, even if the contexts are different, we are daily exposed to these kind of decisions. You are daily exposed to this kind of decision. Doing like others or doing like Jesus is telling you. But the question is, are we faithful to Jesus and accept to endure suffering or do we live a compromising life when we are facing these moments of choice? God is calling us to do good, to endure suffering when needed. The second scenario is believers suffer for doing good when they choose to follow God's calling on their lives. Actually, verse 17 says um, uh, about that, that cho choosing um, to suffer, verse 17 in my version says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered 
once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might be bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Following God's calling means giving up to our dreams and ambitions and live for him. When you read the Bible, throughout the Bible, it's all about men and women who surrendered their lives, who obeyed to the calling of God, and who followed him. I cannot mention examples. That's Abraham leaving his countrymen, leaving his relatives, going to the unknown promised land. It's about Moses leaving the palace, going to his people, and then scared, running away in the wilderness, spending 40 years with his father-in-law, and then coming back as a humble person asking for the freedom of his people. It's about many people in the Bible who gave up to their dreams and their positions and followed Christ. Again, these are not the stories from the past. The invitation to take the cross and follow Jesus is still relevant in our generation and it will be relevant in the next generation. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 38, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It was at the end of my studies as a lawyer, as I first graduated my family, and the first lawyer in my county, that God asked me to work full-time for Harvest that I had recently founded. It was a big disappointment to all my family, all my pastors even. They thought I would be their lawyer. <laughs> Everyone was angry with me. And I spent five years without any support because no one could understand this crazy decision. I remember people from World Vision and the other organization knowing me, proposing me a job. And my answer was, if job is getting money, I have no job. But if job is doing something which is good and being busy for a good purpose, I'm busy, I have a job. They say, we knew, we didn't know that you're crazy, but now we conclude you're crazy. Because I was lonely and no one was caring about me, I remember getting sick and coughing blood. And I went to see the medical doctor, and he checked on me and said, gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with you except malnutrition. Go and have enough food. And I said, he was a believer, and said, wait a minute. Do you want me to stop preaching? Because I know the problem. I preach a lot. I don't have enough food. Do you want me to stop preaching? He said, no, 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 no. I want to, I, I mean eat and preach. <laughs> I praise God because God is faithful. The same time when I was sharing the story, one lady decided to give me a liter of milk for a whole year per day. That saved my life. It, is, it means it's, a, it's giving up to your dreams and stopping what you can do. And forget about your dreams and be what God wants you to do. During the recent crisis, everyone who could, I know that you've been praying for us, was leaving the country for their safety. And I tried to go to Rwanda. But after one week, the Lord spoke to me. How can a, a captain leave the first in a sinking boat? Go back to Burundi. It was a big decision to make. 
I remember coming back on the way to Burundi, back, back to Burundi, meeting hundreds and hundreds of people traveling and crossing the border, going to Rwanda. And they were saying, crazy man, where are you going with these kids, this family? It was difficult. I said, go, I'm going where you're coming from. I believe the Lord is calling me to go back. And he wants me to serve people. He wants me to speak peace. He wants me to lead uh, something which will help people to be, to have peace, to have hope. And the uh, idea in my mind was, I cannot die by accident. I was convinced. I cannot die by accident. If I have to die, there will be a quick meeting in heaven. Actually, it will be a heavy meeting, deciding where I am useful. Is he useful in heaven or is he useful in Burundi? If I am useful in Burundi, no one will take me. But if I am useful in heaven, I can go even now. And I love to go, if he wants me to go. Then, when I came back, you can see the change which happened. We started Christian Initiative for Peace. Christian Initiative for Peace is a network that GLOW has been supporting for years. Then that was time for us to test if really our fellowship is succeeding. And we started using media. We started organizing youth rally. We started speaking to the military, to the leaders of the country. When everyone was afraid, no one wanted, didn't want to speak. We started feeding the families. And now when I look back, it was a good decision for me to go back to Burundi. Even now, I live day, daily. I could say I live daily. Because if you are in the country and you have a voice in the country, you don't know who is your enemy. Whenever I'm driving, I'm expect, I expect to be killed. I don't know where is my enemy and who can be my enemy. But because I am talking about the truth, I know that somebody is mad with me. I know that somebody is angry. But since the Lord told me to go back and lead this time, I have to do what God is calling me to do. Because many people have been killed in this way. It means you are driving your car. There is a motorbike following you with two persons. And when you get to the gate, because all our houses have wards because of lack of security, and they're waiting for that they're open for you, they get out and they shoot you. That is how many people have been killed. I believe, my Lord, and I thank you for your prayers. I know that leaving this world is not by an accident. It's a God's plan. And we cannot protect ourselves. We can try our best, but we never protect ourselves. God is our protector. And God is the one who has our plan and our lives in his hands. And no one can take us from his hands unless he decides. And if he decides, why do we oppose him? That would be a good option if he decides. And during our summer outreaches, it has been always the same stories. When we go to preach the gospel... In our summer outreaches, even in some weeks to come, we have always experienced persecution. In one place, evangelists brought to Christ a witch doctor who was famous in the village. And other witch doctors were afraid and angry because they, their business would be corrupting. And then they took the hoos and machetes and started beating the evangelist. Praise God because God saved their lives. But why did they beat this evangelist? And what is amazing for me, one of the evangelists they were beating who, uh, in that place is now a key leader in GLOW network. 
That was good for him to grow and to see the hand of God. In another corner, evangelists were sharing the gospel in the market, in the public market. And the people accused them of holding a non-authorized meeting. They, they put them in prison. While they got in the prison, they started sharing the gospel to the prison, to the other guys in the prison. All of them became believers. And actually, the policemen knew that they were believers in the prison. And another guy was attacked by demons. They brought him to the prisoners for prayer. That was a revival in the whole neighborhood. Was it a bad decision for them to be in the prison? Maybe it was a good one. Following God's calling has never been easy. And expose us to, to suffering. Jesus did not tell us that we will have fun when we follow him. But he said that we should be willing to take the cross and promise to be with us all the time. Let's think about this. What is the calling of God on your life? What is the calling of God on my life? Have you... Or have we responded yet to the calling of God? It could be in the church here. It could be in London, in Europe, or somewhere in the world. Are we tempted to bring excuses of not following him because of family issues, health issues, security issues, and others? He never said you will go where there is peace and where it is fun. He said, you go like uh, lambs among wolves. It's clear. He said, follow me. And we know which path he went through. Brothers and sisters, I thank you for this honor you gave me. And it's humbling me. And I know that as believers in the UK, we should remember that we are walking in a land where lived the heroes of faith, whom God used to spread the gospel in the world. I'm humbled by that. Actually, this is a particular place. I'm standing where the heroes of faith stood in the past. And their work and their faith to Christ brought us Africans to, to faith. And brought all the continents, many continents to faith. However, we should never forget that they were the heroes in their generation. Because each generation needs its own heroes. My question is, where are the heroes of faith in our generation? Are you one of them? Do you want to be one of them? As I conclude, from the beginning up to now, the truth is the same. Believers are called to suffer for doing good. We are not home. We are on the mission field. We'll have fun when we go home. But as long as we are on a journey, let's be like people on a journey, not at home. It's up to us now to examine ourselves in the light of this truth. Are you willing to live a radical life that does not compromise with sin? Are we willing to push you and follow God's calling on our lives? If we say yes today, and the history has proved it, Whenever there was a person saying yes to the Lord, things happened. Revival happened. Things which have not yet existed, existed. When somebody say yes, the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified. 
His church will be revived. And the good news will reach the end of the earth. God bless you.